and verse number 14, 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 14, 15, and 16. We'll be taking our attention from these three verses of Scripture in 2 Peter. Amen. Praise God. Senior Chorale practice tonight at 6 o'clock. And if you are uh, wanting to be involved in that, see Brother Sister Black uh, for more information about that. Amen. Praise God. Second Peter chapter 2 and verse number 14. This is speaking about those in the flesh. Those in the flesh, Peter is saying, having eyes full of adultery and that cannot cease from sin, beguiling unstable souls and heart they have exercised with covetous practices, cursed children, which have forsaken the right way and are gone astray, following the way of Balaam, the son of Bazor, who love the wages of unrighteousness. But he was rebuked for his iniquity, the dumb ass speaking with man's voice, forbade the madness of the prophet. Amen. My title is from 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse number 16, picking it right out of the scripture itself, the dumb ass speaking. That's what I want to speak for a few moments here tonight. Amen. If you've got a problem with that, you've got a problem with the King James Version, so go back there and talk to the 1611 translators. That's what they said. That's what it says. Praise God. So we're going to look at that narrative in the scripture and discuss the error of his way. What was it? What was the difficulty? And how do we avoid it? Lord, we thank you and praise you. We ask that you direct us tonight. In Jesus' name, we give to you thanks. Amen. God bless you. you can be seated. This scenario in which Balaam is mentioned is found in Numbers chapter 22 through 24. And he is mentioned in this passage of scripture as the children of Israel make their second approach to the promised land. You know that the first approach they made to the promised land, they spied out the land and there were two that said we are well able to take it. And there were 10 that said it is not possibility we are but grasshoppers in their sight because of their unbelief and their failure to put their faith in God they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years after that generation died off and a new generation rose up they made their second approach to the promised land they were making their way across the Jordan River into the land of Moab. The Moabites and the king of Moab, Balak, saw the movement of Israel and became very, very distressed. And so he called for Balaam to curse Israel. Apparently, there was some success on the part of Balaam. Because Balak said, I know that if you come and curse them, 
It will drive them out of the land because I know that who you bless is blessed and who you curse is cursed. And so there was some ability on the part of Balaam as a seer, as an individual that called curses on people. And so Balak called him and wanted him to curse the children of Israel. He said, these people are mighty and they're going to come into this land and they're going to lick up all that are round about as the ox licketh up the grass of the field. And so he sends out an entreaty, an invitation to Balaam to curse the children of Israel. They are poised at the border. They are ready to enter into the promised land. And so the neighboring nations become very wary of this people. There's opposition. And so the people of God are destined to be in the promised land. The enemy sets itself in array to sabotage that destiny. God had a place for them. He was taking them a place. He was moving them from Egypt into a promised land. And so here at this juncture, there is an invitation that goes forth from Balak to Balaam. Who is Balaam? Well, he is a sorcerer. He is one that is called upon to place curses on others. The belief in curses and blessings was common in the Old Testament times. Sorcerers were thought to have power with the gods. And for that reason, the king of Moab wanted Balaam to use his power with the God of Israel to place a curse on Israel hoping that by magic God would turn against his people. And so this is the invitation that he gives. Balak sends messengers of Moab and Midian with money, prestigious men, and he comes to Balaam and he tells Balaam that I can, I can bless you. I have the finances, the means, the wherewithal. And Balaam says to this entourage that comes, uh, wait until the morning. Spend the night with me, and in, in the morning, I will tell you what God says. And God places the first warning in Balaam's pathway. And the first warning is God speaks to him and says to Balaam, Who are these men that are visiting you? That's the first warning. God speaks to Balaam and lets him know that what he is embarking upon is not a righteous thing, for he is a God above all gods, and he's a king above every king, and he's a Lord above every Lord. And, and Balaam will not get a foothold above the God of Israel. And so the first warning sign is placed in the way of Balaam. And he has opportunity to recognize that this is a merciful sign. God is, God is speaking to you to keep you from harm or from danger. There's consequences in your decisions and what you will do and, and the decision and choice that you will make. And so here is a warning. And he places that before Balaam. Balaam uh, rejects Balak and Balak sends even a larger and more distinguished group of officials and says to him, don't let anything stop you from coming to help me. I will pay you very well and I will do whatever you tell me. And, and I want you to just come and curse this people for me. Balaam hears that and responds and he says, I can't even do this if you were to give me your palace 
full of silver and gold, but spend one more night, and I will see if the Lord has anything else to say. Just a word of quick insight here in this lesson. Though not one of God's chosen, Balaam was willing to acknowledge that Yahweh was a powerful God. I can't say anything other than what he tells me to say. But he did not believe in the Lord as the only true God. His life, Balaam's life, was a life of deception, of maintaining an outward facade of spirituality over a corrupt inward life. He was ready to obey God's command as long as he profited from it. And he realized God's great power, but he was motivated by the wealth that he could gain in Moab. You, you can't straddle the fence in living for God. You're either with one side or the other side. You can't serve both. You can't serve both. You'll either hate the one and love the other, or you'll love the one and hate the other. You got to make a decision. And Balaam was an individual that had a difficult time making a decision. And although he says the right thing, his motivations are covered by what he is really doing. It is much better to avoid his mistake by finding an answer to our sin rather than keeping up an appearance and masking and covering our real selves. And so God puts a warning. Whenever there's a discrepancy between who you are on the inside and who you are on the outside, God always places a warning in our way. He never bombasts us with judgment. He always places warnings of mercy in our pathway because that's how God works. The consequences of my decisions will not be because God ignored me, but he put things in my way that I could choose to listen to or to ignore. And Balaam has the opportunity to listen to the warning of God. The second warning is that God knows Balaam's heart. He knows his motivation and he knows his deception. He reads this and he responds to Balaam this way. Since these men have come for you, get up and go with them, but only do what I tell you to do. And so Balaam gets up the next morning and he makes his journey toward Balak. And he saddles up his donkey and he starts off. The scripture said that God was angry with Balaam. He passes right by the warning sign, and he seems to be saying the right thing, but God evidently knows and understands his motivations, even though we as a reader don't, because it seems like he's responding correctly. He saddles up the donkey, and he makes his way toward Balak, and God is angry with him. He was angry that Balaam was going. And so on, on this journey, the donkey sees something in the road that Balaam cannot see, and he bolts off of the road. And so Balaam gets off the donkey, beats the poor beast to get it back on the road. And a little farther down the road, between two vineyard walls, a very narrow passageway, the donkey tries to go, something, to go around something that is in his path, crushes Balaam's foot, and so Balaam, again, beats the poor beast, again, to get it moving. A little farther down the road, it narrows, and there is no way to go left or right. And so to avoid what is in the road, the donkey lies down under Balaam and will not move. In a fit of rage, Balaam 
beats the animal again with his staff. And amazingly, the donkey says, what have I done to deserve you beating me these three times? There's these warning signs that God is placing in Balaam's pathway. Balaam is so intent on the direction that he's going that instead of stopping and saying, wait a minute, a donkey is not supposed to be talking to me, the ass that is speaking is not supposed to be talking to me, he continues the conversation and he shouts, you make me look like a fool. If I had a sword, I would have killed you. And here he is talking to a donkey. And the donkey said, I'm the same donkey you've ridden all your life. Have I ever done anything like this before? Balaam says, no. And then the angel of the Lord is revealed that is standing with a drawn sword. And the angel of the Lord said, I have come to block your way because you are stubbornly resisting me. And if it were not for the donkey, you would be dead. He's ignoring warning signs. He's passing through. He's blowing by the stop signs that God places in his life. Balaam said, I've sinned. I didn't know you were standing in the way. Goodness, I'll go back. I'll go back the other way. And God tells him to continue, but to only speak what God tells him. And so Balaam makes his way to Balak, and he gives three poems as the invitation to Balaam, who is a, a seer, a sorcerer, God directs him, guides him, sets warning signs in his path, and Balaam makes his way to Balak. And when he gets to Balak, Balak says, this is urgent. Why is there a delay? Don't you know that I can promote you? I can make you prosperous. I can bring you fame. I can pay you money. I just want you to curse the people of God. Balaam said, I don't have the power to say anything. Whatever I say is coming from God. So Balaam says the right thing. Balak still wants to move forward in his desperation. He sends more gifts. He sends livestock as a clear signal that I can influence you with fortune. Not only can I give you fame, but I can give you fortune. I can make you prosperous and I can bless you if you'll just curse the people of God. So Balak took Balaam to this high place of Baal where he could look out and he could see part of the children of Israel's encampment and they built seven altars and they prepared seven oxen and seven rams and Balaam said, I'll go over here on the wayside a little bit and I will seek God to see what he will tell me. And so when he returned, he gives the first poem. I find it interesting that he beats the donkey three times and he gives three poems. <clears throat> In all three cases, he is disfranchising the children of Israel because of his motivations and his heart. And he's going to do some very terrible, terrible things to them. But at this moment, he comes, after all of this, on this high hill, he gives the first poem, and it, I'm not going to read it verbatim, but it goes something like this. 
He says, I have come to curse Jacob and curse Israel and defy Israel. But how can I curse somebody that God hasn't cursed? How can I defy somebody that the Lord has not defied? So from the top of the rocks, I can see him. And from the hills, I can behold him. And I can see the people that dwell there. And who can count the dust of Jacob and the number of Israel? Who, who can do that? Let me die the death of the righteous and let my last end be like his. This was the first poem that he gives. This was obviously not a curse. And so Balak said to Balaam, what have you done to me? I brought you here. I promised you fame. I promised you fortune. I promised to make you prosperous and to bless you. And what you've done is you haven't cursed them. But he is still not deterred. And so he said, let me take you to another high place so maybe you can see a different side and a different angle, and you can see a different thing. And so he takes them to another place, and he builds seven altars, and he offers the sacrifice. And so Balaam sees all that's happening, and he, he goes to the wayside, and he said, let me pray and see what God will say. And so he comes back, and he gives the second poem. And the second poem is something like this. Rise up, Balak, and hear, and hear my voice. God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. If he said it, he is going to do it. If he spoke it, he's going to make it happen. And so I've received a commandment to bless, and he hath blessed. I cannot reverse it. He hath not beheld the iniquity in Jacob. He has not seen the perverseness in Israel. The Lord his God is with them, and the shout of a king is among them. He brought them out of Egypt as it were, with the strength of a unicorn. There is no enchantment that will stand against Jacob. There is no divination that can stand against Israel. He's the God that creates the times, and he has wrought this great work, and the people shall rise up as a great lion and lift up himself as a young lion, and he won't lie down until he eats up the prey and drinks the blood of the slain. Balak says to him, don't curse them and don't bless them. He's so upset and dismayed, but he's still undeterred. He says, let me take you to another place. Isn't this much like the enemy? I'll offer to you fame. I'll give to you fortune. Just curse the people of God. Just walk away. I'll take you to this place you can see here. If that's not good enough, I'll take you over here. And so they go to a third hill. And Balaam this time says, I'm not even going to bother walking away and praying about this. I'm just going to prophesy what God tells me. And he gives the third poem. It goes something like this. There's a vision of the Almighty falling into a trance, but having his eyes open. How goodly are thy tents, O Jacob, and thy tabernacles, O Israel. 
The valleys are spread forth and the gardens are by the riverside and the trees align along the way and the Lord hath planted the cedar trees beside the waters. He's going to pour water out of his bucket and his seed shall be in many waters and his king shall be higher than Agag and his kingdom shall be exalted. God brought them out of Egypt as it were with the strength of a unicorn. He's going to eat up the nations and he's going to break their bones He's going to pierce them with his arrows. He lay down like a lion, a great lion. Who shall stir him up? Blessed is he that blesseth thee, and cursed is he that cursed thee. Isn't it awesome when the enemy wants to curse God that God says, no, you're not going to curse my people. I'm not going to allow you to do that. I'm going to stand in the way. Doesn't matter what comes your way, saying of God, the accuser of the brethren can say what he wants, but if God's in the picture, it doesn't matter what goes forth because what God intends is the promises of God, the goodness of God, the greatness of God. So I'm in a good place if I'm on God's side. I'm in a precarious place if I'm not on God's side, but I'm on the enemy's side. I don't want to be on the enemy's side. I want to stand in solidarity with God. So Balak smites his hands together and says to Balaam, I called you to curse mine enemies and you have blessed them three times. And he says to him, now go flee to your place. I'm not going to promote you. I'm, the Lord hath kept you back from honor. The Lord kept you from honor. The Lord hath kept you from fame and fortune and So Balak sends Balaam on his way. Balaam says at the conclusion, I told you, you could give me a house full of silver and gold, but I can't, I can't do any more than what God puts on my lips. And so before he leaves, he gives three more parting shots to Balak. He gives a fifth, a sixth, and a seventh poem against other nations. He says that Moab is going to be destroyed. He gives a poem about Amalek. He gives a poem about the Kenites. And he gives a poem about Asher. And he says in each and every one of these cases that God is going to consume these nations. Balaam rose up, went, and returned to his place. And Balak also went his own way. Sounds like in these passages of scripture that Balaam has corrected his ways because he's saying the right things. And it seems like the warning signs have arrested his attention. God always, this is very, very important, God always puts warning signs in your way before you run into judgment. When you run into judgment, then there are consequences. But he always places warning signs in your way. And, and Balaam seems like the warning signs arrested his attention, but the next verses sound very ominous and it reveals that Balaam was doing the right thing for the wrong reason he becomes he becomes an individual in scripture that does the right thing but he does it for the wrong reasons and in verse number 25 the scripture said that Israel abode in Shittim and the people began to commit whoredom with the daughters of Moab and they called the people unto the sacrifices of their gods, and the people did eat and bowed down to their gods. Warning signs. It seems like Balaam's doing the right thing, but this passage of Scripture tells us 
and something is awry. And that's where we come to the way of Balaam. You don't really pick it up in the Old Testament. You don't see uh, beyond what is happening in chapter 22 through 24 because it sounds like Balaam has, has, has done everything that he needed to do. He said what God told him to say. And yet when you read 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse number 14, you can see that Balaam provided the advice on how to find the weakness, the underbelly in the children of Israel. How did he do that? 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse number 14, it was the way of Balaam, the son of Bezor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness, but was rebuked for his iniquity. The dumb ass speaking with man's voice forbade the madness of the prophet. So in the New Testament, we're not getting a description of Balaam as being somebody that's just answering and responding based on what God is telling him, but he's a madman. Jude 11 says, Woe unto them, for they have gone the way of Cain. They ran greedily after the heir of Balaam for reward and perished in the gainsaying of Corey. They ran greedily after the heir of Balaam for reward. Revelation chapter 2 and verse number 12 gives us some more insight in the Old Testament about Balaam as he is talking to the churches in Asia. Chapter 2 and verse number 12, and to the angel of the church in Pergamos write, These things saith he which hath the sharp sword with two edges. I know your works, and where thou dwellest, even where Satan's seat is, thou holdest fast my name, hast not denied my faith, even in those days where an Antipas was my faithful martyr, who was slain among you, where Satan dwelleth. But I have a few things against thee, because thou hast there them that hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat things sacrificed unto idols and to commit fornication. So in Numbers chapter two, 22 through 24, it appears that Balaam is just saying what God tells him to and blessing the people of God instead of cursing them. But we see Israel becomes led astray by Balaam's advice, things that we don't see in the narrative, behind the scenes that become a stumbling block, and he encourages them to fornicate with those nations that are around him. This is a stumbling block. This becomes a great plague in Israel, and Balaam is at the heart of it. Balaam ignored every warning sign and he taught others wrong. He had every opportunity when there was a warning to say, I need to check myself here. This is a God that is a God above all gods. And, and if he is in such authority, then I need to measure up my own motives. But he doesn't do that. And so God does not unleash judgment upon humanity. He extends mercy. It's the reverse. Judgment doesn't come before mercy, mercy comes before judgment. And so God many times gives to us signs of mercy. It's his mercy. It's his mercy. Of course, I'm not just talking about Balaam here tonight. I'm talking about you and I'm talking about me. The decisions that we make in life, 
that there may be times that we're not everything that we should be and we should be striving for and toward perfection. That's what we should be striving to do. Sometimes we don't measure up, and so sometimes we have to recalibrate. We've got to make things right. And hopefully, hopefully, the anointing of God, a message, a word of God, an explosive service, a move of God breaks out in such a way that there is a warning sign in which God's mercy says you're going the wrong direction. But my mercy is here to direct you, to mold you, to shape you, to fashion you, to keep you on the right track. And so learn by the warning sign to make sure that you are in the right place, doing the right thing, and God is working in your life. But when you continue to go past the warning signs, this is where we start getting ourselves in great, great trouble and danger because we're blowing by warning signs. This is one of the reasons why you shouldn't come to church and the Holy Ghost breaks out in a powerful way and you leave and you leave feeling the power of the Holy Ghost but there's no change because what that's going to mean is you're going to come to the house of God and service after service after service I'm going to feel the anointing of God and I'm okay everything is all right I felt the Holy Ghost God spoke to me it was great but you don't change your action means that you're blowing through the mercy signs and the warning sign and at some point there is judgment that is going to come And there are consequences that are going to come because of that. It's not judgment and then mercy. It's mercy and then judgment. I mean, what, what a testimony by Balaam to say I was a, a sorcerer. I cursed and I blessed, but when I came into contact with Yahweh, I could only say what he told me to say. Could have been a great testimony. Balaam me fame, tried to give me fortune, tried to say that he could bless me and make me somebody and something, and every time I spoke, I blessed the people of God. He could have had that testimony, but he didn't. The testimony that he has in the scripture is that he was a manipulative individual, and he went the way of Balaam, and he caused the children of Israel to go off course to find themselves in a plague of fornication and idolatry. In the very moment in the passage of Scripture that describes this, in the very moment of the children of Israel weeping and crying because of a plague, there are individuals that are bringing into the camp Moabitess women. And so this, the whole story goes that to put that out, they had to be killed Somebody had to take a stand. Balaam was responsible for all of this because he was the one behind the scenes giving the advice. And so all, all of the signs and warnings are ignored. I want to tell you something. When the Holy Ghost breaks out and moves in a powerful way and you get up and you feel that anointing, the Holy Ghost is in your life to empower you to make changes. The problem we have in a religious world right now is people want to experience the outflow of God's mercy, but they don't want anything to do with judgment. You can't have judgment without mercy. It's a balance. If you have mercy and mercy alone, what you end up with is an enabling. And if all you have is judgment, you have something that drives away. And so mercy works in balance. God's mercy directs us and extends invitations to us 
weekly to make the adjustments in our life that we need to make. And if you keep blowing by those things, eventually at some point, judgment is going to occur. Praise God. Listen to the signs of God before the donkey speaks. And how do you avoid a situation like that? You turn the warning sign into a sign of salvation. A sign of salvation. A sign of direction. Praise God. I weep tonight in my spirit. And some of you may be here tonight wondering what in the world are you even talking about? It's because people that blow by warning signs all of a sudden face the judgment of God and then their consequences, and you've got you to live through that. You've got to walk through that. It's a terrible place to be. It is a desert. It feels like a valley of dry bones, and the only way they could ever be fixed is if God is the miracle worker that brings all the joints and the sinew and the bones back together. When it could have been avoided, if you'd listen to the warning signs of God. sat in my office and talked to individuals who weep and said, if I could have just controlled this or if I could have listened earlier, I would have never been in this predicament or in this situation. Blowing by warning signs only leads to death. For the last passage of scripture that we will read tonight, it's found in Numbers chapter 31 and verse number 7 that describes Balaam's inn. Again, some scriptures in the Old Testament, it sounds like Balaam did the right thing. Scriptures in the New Testament that judge him very, very harshly because of his advice and the way of Balaam. And in Numbers chapter 31 and verse 7, And they warred against the Midianites as the Lord commanded Moses, and they slew all the males. And they slew the kings of Midian beside the rest of them that were slain, namely, Evi and Rechem and Zer and Hur and Reba, five kings of Midian. And then this last phrase, Balaam also the son of Beor they slew with the sword. Don't ignore the warning signs. Praise God. If God's mercy extends to you, embrace it and say, God, I want to be what you've called me to be. I'm not going to continue to go that direction. Why would you want to go back and pick up the very things that destroyed you in the first place? Why would you want to be like a dog going back to its vomit? If God called you out of dysfunction, why are you going back to dysfunction? You're blowing through the warning signs that God's placing in your way. And I'm here to tell you tonight in a very low-key way, judgment comes when you just keep blowing through the warning signs. That's what the house of God is for. That's why it's so very, very important to be in the house of God because God works, God molds, God creates the ability for us to say that's a sign to me, a word, a move of God, the anointing strength and encouragement that keeps me from the hand and the advice of the enemy. As we stand together tonight, don't ignore the warning signs.
let judgment begin in the house of God. Praise God. Savior, we thank you and praise you tonight and worship you and know that you're a God that brings to us many, many occasions and many opportunities to reflect upon what you are doing in our lives. Send to us mercy, 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 mercy. People in our life that can speak to us and help us and advise us. Praise God that are close to us. You speak through them. You speak through experiences. You speak through all kinds of different means and ways. I pray that you would help us recognize and understand that your mercy is powerful. And it saves and strengthens us. And we can avoid the hand of judgment in our life. And if judgment comes, there's going to be consequences. I pray that you would help us embrace your mercy and your power and your anointing and your ability. Praise God in Jesus' name. Jesus' name. Amen. I want us to pray about.